Amen. If you may, you may have noticed that the sheep up here are multiplying. So uh, there's more than I think double that we had when we first started, or something like that, because um, we got more for a couple of reasons. One, because that's what we want to do as a church, right? We want our sheep to multiply. We want to see more people coming to faith in Jesus and being brought into a relationship with Him, and that's going to be a real focus for us in the upcoming fall. And the next reason is because next week we want to give them away to all of our kids. So if we want to make sure there's going to be plenty for everybody. So that's the other more practical reason. But after the service, as always, kids, come up, kick them around, try to not knock the air out of them. But uh, feel free to have fun with them as our kids join us here for the summer. We are in Psalm 5. You can open your Bibles there. I'm glad we can uh, be back into the scriptures. I'm glad I get to be back with you guys in the scriptures. Uh, I heard Mitch did an outstanding job last week doing Psalm 122, uh, really focused in on Jerusalem and its history and sort of uh, how it points us to the Lord, rising, going up to worship to the Lord. I had mentioned in this, song, this series in the Psalms that we're going to do an imprecatory psalm. And that may not have stuck with you because it's Kind of a weird word. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard the word outside of this used used here in the Psalms. Uh, But I did define it earlier. Uh, It's one of the more controversial parts of the Bible. Uh, The imprecatory Psalms. And imprecatory, I have the quote up here. I should have it up there in the first slide. Uh, But these are prayers against your enemies wishing their downfall. Wishing their destruction. uh, That they would come to ruin. Um, so, do we have that, Mike, by any chance? We're working on it. Okay, we'll get to it. But, uh, so the idea behind it in the Psalms is that uh, they're bringing their anger to God. That's why I think it's actually, even though it's a bit of a controversial part of the Scriptures, some people have kind of stumbled over it thinking, why, why, do, why do they have to show such anger and hatred towards another? Understand what the Psalms are. Now, they're the prayers... The songs, the worship of God's people, rather than taking vengeance into their own hands, they're giving it to God. My friends, when you think about it, here's one definition of an imprecatory psalm behind me here. Imprecatory psalms are prayer songs so designated because of their particular vigorous attitude toward the enemy. The verb imprecate means to pray evil against or to invoke curse upon another Hence the name for these prayers. And it's not just a few of them, as you can see up there. There's a list, I won't read them out, but there's a number of these types of psalms that are praying, wishing evil upon another. But here's, I think, the point, friends. When we have anger, <laughs> when we're bitter, when we want, wish uh, something upon our enemy, we tend to hold it in, to carry it around. And I think what these psalms do is they call us to give it up to God. Uh, God brings joy and freedom to His people when they give their anger to Him. In fact, when we have that sort of anger in us, that bitterness towards somebody else, it's like, it's like carrying a heavy load on your back. So I, I got this backpack up here. This backpack has uh, traveled the world with me a few times, three times I think, twice to Nepal, once to Israel. Uh, and I filled it with heavy books. I think I may have made it too heavy because I'm supposed to wear this for the sermon. So we'll see how this goes. If I faint up here, you know why. So, Mike, I stuck my concordance of the Septuagint in here. That was my problem. Book's like a thousand, couple thousand pages. But this is what it's like. We have this burden. We have this anger. And we're not willing to let it go. We carry it with us everywhere we go. 
What God calls us to do is to give it to Him. Look with me at Psalm 5. Psalm 5. As we look at here in the Scriptures, how David, the king of Israel, deals with his anger against his enemies. To the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. God brings joy and freedom to his people when they give their anger, their bitterness to him. There's an outline in your bulletin. Hopefully this is helpful for you. Uh, But three points. First, pray, pray, pray. This beginning first three verses. And then we're going to kind of break it down a little differently. There's really two cycles. Uh, He speaks about his enemies, then he speaks about himself, then he speaks about his enemies, then he speaks about himself. So what we're going to do is look about how he speaks about his enemies in 4 to 6 and 9 to 10, turn to God to deal with injustice, and then how he speaks about his own calling, you focus on on following the Lord. So look first with me at the first three verses of chapter 5. Pray, pray, pray. We see a great model here in the Psalms of how to pray. How to pray. First, he cries out to God. Notice all of these requests. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to to the sound of my voice. To you do I pray. He's pleading with God. David recognizes that God is clearly the superior in this relationship. And that he is the beggar. He is the one who pleads. And he's going to God saying, please God, hear, listen, pay attention to my cry. And David's in a tough spot here. He's feeling the weight of the opposition that those who oppose him are bringing upon him. He describes it as his groaning, his cry as he goes to God. Actually, some people see this as a psalm of lament. Uh, We looked at one of those earlier, a psalm of grief. But really, when you think about it, those two things are pretty closely aligned, right? Uh, When you're feeling the weight of somebody oppressing you, when you're feeling the weight of anger... It's also a time of grief oftentimes, a time of lament. Whoever has brought that lament upon you, you struggle with frustration and anger. So in a sense, 
It's both here. He refers to God as my king in verse 2. Why is that important? Because David is the king. (laughs) So he's the king of Israel, and yet he says, God is the true king. He's my king. He's the king over Israel. He's the king over the world. He's the king over the universe. And then in verse 3, twice he says, in the morning. This is called the morning psalm as well. Uh, Not morning as in crying, but in the morning. He's praying in the morning to the Lord. I would just commend to you, the morning time is a time of prayer. Uh, It's not as in scripture as if you can only pray in the morning, but I would just say that's the time you're going to get alone. It's going to be quiet, especially if you have kids. Uh, It's a time that starts the day as the sun begins to rise. Uh, as a time to spend some time with the Lord and to pray. It's a calling here. It's pretty obvious. Pray, pray, pray. Uh, we see the model the, right here in Scripture. That's why, as I said, one of the things I want to do this fall is have this set-aside time, 40 days of prayer. And we've done different things like that over the last seven years. I've uh, been the lead pastor for seven years. We've done a few of these sort of uh, times of prayer, but I want to write, this is probably the longest one and the most intense one that I'm asking our church to do here. Uh, that we would spend 40 days starting on September 12th, which is a Wednesday, and ending on October 21st, which is a Sunday, devoted to the Lord in prayer. And what I'm asking everyone in our church to do is to spend every day, some portion of every day, in prayer. And I'd recommend the morning is a good time to do that. Asking God for his blessing upon our church, upon our kids, upon our city. Our missionaries are going to have specific emphases each week. Uh, The first week will be on our kids and our schools. Uh, Then we're going to look to our church and its ministries. Then to uh, other local churches and to our city and uh, to our government and to our nation. And ultimately to our missionaries and looking to the Lord for revival. But I also want to ask you, on Wednesdays in particular, to come together for gathered prayer. Uh, I've mentioned this so many times, you probably know, those who have been coming, but we have a Wednesday night prayer meeting. It's about six people who come consistently, and has been, we've been gathering for probably 10 to 12 years, literally. Uh, they, that group has been gathering and praying, and we have seen God answer some mighty and amazing things. But I want to really say, come and join us, at least for this 40 days. On Wednesdays. In fact, we're going to push back community groups so they don't actually start until after this 40 days, just to encourage you to come out on that Wednesday night. And if you can't come out Wednesday night, don't worry, we got you covered. We're asking folks to come out on Wednesday morning. Pastor Mike and, and uh, one of our elders, uh, Joe Harrington, is go- are going to lead a Wednesday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. So hopefully before you head to work or wherever you have to head for the day. Maybe you want to do both. Maybe you can only do one or the other, but come out. And spend some time before the Lord. And maybe even spend some time fasting. Uh, maybe you're someone who has never fasted before. This is brand new to you. Here's an opportunity. Maybe fast through lunch. One meal. Maybe if you're, you fasted before, fast through the day. And just use it as a time asking for the Lord's blessing. Friends, I think power, spiritual power comes with prayer. It's all over the Bible. Uh, it's out of the words of Jesus' own mouth again and again. And 2,000 years of church history testified to it. God uses prayer. Before we move on, just I wonder if you're in one of four places when it comes to prayer. You're someone who doesn't pray. That's the first one. That's a lot of people. Don't be embarrassed. But you get, here's a great time to start. Just begin. How do you begin? Start talking to God. That's all. Just start talking to Him. Your prayers don't have to be clear and refined and 
eloquent and all that, just on your own start talking to God. I remember uh, one uh, professor I had before, he said he was leading someone to faith in a bar. Uh, led him to faith in Christ, said, okay, let's pray. I want you to just pray what's on your heart right now. And the man prayed, Lord, I've effed up my life. Now, probably not want to use, don't want to use the F word in prayer. That's probably not the best model for prayer, right? You probably want to save that for never. That'd be the best place. But prayer is probably not the best place. But you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> the heart was right. Lord, I've effed up my life. I need your help. Uh, start somewhere. Maybe this is your opportunity to begin praying. You're somebody who prays, secondly, uh, but doesn't pray enough. And yes, in a sense, friends, we can all pray more. As a church, if we're doing nothing else for you spiritually than to encourage you and to lead you to pray more than you do, we've done you a great service. All right? So if this is nothing else for you than to say, all right, this is a good reminder for me, an encouragement for me to learn to pray more than I do, then I hope that is that for you. Third, you're someone frustrated with prayer. And I've spoken to people who are in this category. Uh, you're, you're having difficulty with it. How come God doesn't answer my prayers? Uh, how come, how do, how do I pray? What am I supposed to say? I've heard people tell me, I, I feel uncomfortable asking God for anything. Uh, it sounds like I'm demanding something from Him. I don't, I don't like that. Well, how do you pray? You're, you're frustrated with the way to pray. Uh, friends, I hope we can help you on that too. Uh, again, the scriptures give us multiple models of how to pray. Right here uh, is an example going before the Lord, pleading with Him. So when we ask God for something, that's not a sign of selfishness. Uh, that's a sign of dependence. That we can't do it without Him. We're looking to Him. And we address Him with the intimacy of our Father. In the fourth category are people maybe who pray often depend upon prayer and have seen God work mightily in prayer. And I don't want to leave that category out because you might be in that very category. As I said, we can all pray more, but maybe that's where you're at. And I would just say, we need you. <laughs> you are our prayer warriors. And we need more of you. And please pray for our church and let's see what God does. And one of the things I want to just show you, tell you is that the people who are in that category, from my perspective, are not necessarily the pastors or the elders. Although the pastors and elders love to pray. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be your full-time job to be a prayer person. <laughs> you can go to work from 9 to 5 or 8 to 5 or 8 to 6 or whatever it is. Or be raising your kids and still be somebody who values and understands the power of prayer. And has watched God do some mighty things through it. Pray, pray, pray. If you've learned nothing from the Psalms this summer, I hope that's one thing we've seen. But then we come to really the heart of what's going on here. The imprecatory part of this prayer. Uh, where he demonstrates his anger and his hatred for his enemies. And there's two sections, 4 to 6 and 9 through 10. 4 to 6 and 9 through 10. Look what he says in verse 4. He separates God from these enemies, from these evil people. God, you don't delight in wickedness. Evil can't dwell with you. The boastful can't stand beside you. Notice the strength of his language. You hate evildoers. And destroy those who speak lies. You are poor, bloodthirsty, and deceitful men. God is against that which is evil in this world. He couldn't use clearer language. God stands apart from all that is evil. As I said, I think I said it in the prayer earlier, how you feel about evil in this world, God feels stronger than you. Okay, You're not going to find anyone who hates evil more than God. 
So that's where he's sort of just recognizing the character of God and how he stands against evil. But during the second cycle is where he actually asks God to bring his judgment upon them. Look at verses uh, 9 through 10. But there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. And they flatter with their tongue. Uh, Notice what he's described there. Uh, What are their weapons? Not spears, swords, javelins. It's their mouth, their tongue, their lips. The way they've hurt David is through gossip and slander and lies. And when you think about it, friends, that's usually how we get hurt by those who oppose us too, isn't it? It's more the lies and the slander and the dishonesty. That's the weapons that we face against our enemies here. Uh, this is such a, a vivid description. It's quoted in, in Paul, by Paul in the New Testament in Romans 3 as he describes human depravity, how sinful this world has become. Even our mouths are used like open graves that you might fall into as somebody speaks slanderously against you. What can we learn from this, though? (laughs) Again, you might say, that's that's such strong hatred, such strong words in opposition to his enemies. Where's the love for your enemies and so forth? We'll get to that in just a bit. What can we learn from this? First of all, evil really exists. Uh, evil really exists. Now you see, we say, well, that sounds so obvious, Rick. Of course it does. Actually, no. <laughs> Typically in, in, our, in, in many postmodern kind of views today, evil is not evil. It's just a misunderstanding. And you know, this, the Bible is very clear and the Psalms are very clear. Evil is to go against the Lord and evil really does exist in this world. Call it what it is. You're not doing anybody a favor to minimize evil. And uh, I mean, just... Kind of point a finger, but I, I know that when you point a finger, fingers get pointed backwards, right back at us, and we got to always be cautious. But I think this is where I think, as we're seeing all over the news, the Roman Catholic Church has gone so far astray. Call it what it is. This is wicked, evil child abuse. There's no excuse for it. There's no pardoning it. It needs to be recognized for what it is. It is evil. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to minimize it. Don't say we're all sinners. This is evil and needs to be recognized for what it is. Uh, one example of sort of this idea that evil doesn't exist. Uh, recently in the news, there were two uh, bike packers, uh, bi- bike? Backpackers, bike, bicyclists, there we go, I guess, who backpacked as well. Uh, he actually lived in a tiny house. He was on a couple of shows, those who like tiny houses and things like that. But he decided to sell everything, this one individual, and uh, go and take all the money that he got from it and just try to bicycle around the world. Uh, and he said, I want to experience this good, wonderful world that we live in and all of its diversity. Uh, and he actually even said this, evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans, holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than our own. By and large, humans are kind. So that's what he said. Evil doesn't really exist. We just don't understand each other. I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to go and travel around the world. Sadly, Austin and his wife's dream trip came to a tragic and gruesome end when they got to Tajikistan, a known terrorist threat there, and it shares a border with Afghanistan, where ISIS and other terrorist groups were highly active. They were riding their bikes through the country on July 29th this year when a car rammed them 
According to CBS News, five men got out of the car, stabbed the couple to death along with two other cyclists, one from Switzerland and the other from the Netherlands. Friends, evil exists, and it does no one any good to pretend like it doesn't. But second, God stands apart from evil. He's opposed to it. He hates it. Evil is against who God is by his very nature. One commentator, Van Gameren, says, Whereas other religions brought together good and evil at the level of the gods, God has revealed that evil exists apart from him, and yet is under his sovereign control. God is not the author of evil, he is not the creator of evil, but he sovereignly can use evil for his purposes. Recognize evil to be what it is, but recognize that God stands opposed to it. But then third and most importantly, give it to God. That's what this psalm's all about. Notice David doesn't take vengeance into his own hands. Actually, we're going to learn he goes into the temple and prays. That's what he does. But even in this prayer, he's giving it to God. Lord, I'm taking off the burden. And I'm handing it to you. Because I can't handle it. It's too big. It's too great for me. I had a struggle when I was younger. Um, some of you guys have heard the story. I won't go into all the detail. But I had a, my older brother was abused. And... Um, this is what's hard for me to talk about a little bit. But uh, I remember as a young teenager feeling so angry about it that I wanted to take matters in our own hands to this abuser. I mean, I wanted to show up at his house. I don't, you know, what do they say? Don't, don't, bring a, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. I was willing to say, whatever it takes, I'll show up and we've got to get even with this guy. There was such anger in me at what he had done. And the thing that got around it was prayer. God, you hate this. You hate it more than I hate it. And I leave vengeance in your hands to deal with this. I trust it into you. It takes the burden off of our backs and puts it in his. I would even say this though, friends. As much as we can look to David as an example and look to the imprecatory Psalms as an example, we as Christians need to go a step further than that. We look at Jesus. And what do we see with Jesus? First of all, A reminder that sin and evil is not out there only. It's in here. When this is quoted, this section is quoted in the New Testament. It's not quoted to point the finger at other people. It's pointed to point the finger at ourselves. And that how much we needed a Savior that God sent in the person of His Son, Jesus. And sin is prevalent, but it's prevalent everywhere. I'm reading the book Townie by Andre Debus. Uh, he grew up here in Haverhill, famous writer. I don't know if some of you guys have read it, but he described Haverhill in the 70s. Some of you guys remember Haverhill in the 70s. This is a brutal place. This is a tough place. Uh, he would get into fist fights all the time. Horrible things would happen. His best friend, got, one of his best friends, got stabbed, almost killed in high school. His sister was raped in Boston. I mean, just a, he just describes a brutal, constant fist fights, constant drug issues all throughout his childhood here in the 70s. And friends, I would say, yes, in some ways, that's still here today, right? And this is one of the leading areas for the opioid issue. Evil is everywhere around us. We don't just point to those people far away. But even those sins of violence and sexual sins may not be your issues. Maybe your issues are pride. Maybe your issues are interior anger. Whatever it may be. 
Sin is everywhere. And as Christians, we recognize that Christ has taken our sin upon himself. He's taken the punishment of sin on himself, on the cross, to redeem us. If we want to know how sinful we really are, how wicked we really are, look to the cross and we recognize what God had to do to save us, to make us his own. He had to crucify his own son, who willingly gave his life for us, to bear the wrath of God in our place. That's how sinful we really are. And one more thing, as Christians, we need to love even our enemies. This is such a radical concept, I've heard, that almost no other religion in the world actually believes this, except clearly Christianity. Uh, You don't just need to love your friends and just love your family. I mean, every religion probably agrees with that. I don't know if there's any real, genuine religion around the world that actually doesn't say, you need to love your family. If you're a man, be a good, and you're married, be a good husband. If you've got kids, be a good father, be a good neighbor to the person next door. That's, That's not surprising at all. Where Jesus actually shocks the world and says, love your enemies. In fact, I have a picture of uh, the hillside when we were in Israel. Um, We got to visit where the uh, Sermon on the Mount was given. So that should be the hill where the Sermon on the Mount was given. With that big beautiful olive tree right next to it. uh, Behind me here. Uh, But what did Jesus say there? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's where it gets really hard, doesn't it? (laughs) It's one thing to say, I recognize them to be evil. I recognize that God's in opposition to evil. And I give vengeance into his hands. And now I need to love them. And friends, the ultimate example of love is what? Uh, The greatest way to win victory over an enemy is to make him a friend. (laughs) The ultimate example of love is to not only pray uh, for God to bring vengeance, but far beyond that, that God would bring mercy That they would come to repentance and faith and be restored into a right relationship with God. Friends, I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. (laughs) Uh, I have some experience. Some of you guys have more experience than me in how difficult it is to give your anger and your hatred and your bitterness to God. But why do we do that? Look at the next section with me. You you focus on following the Lord. Verses 7 through 8 and 11 through 12. Look at 7 through 8 first. But I, that's them. I've given them over to you, God. You stand apart from them. You hate evildoers. You know what they're doing. I give it into your hands. I'm not taking personal vengeance. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, I'm going to your house. I'm going to the tabernacle. I'm going to bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. I'm looking to you, Lord. They're in the rearview mirror now. And my focus is on you. Verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. I'm going forward now, Lord. Help me go forward. And then he ends here in verses 11 through 12. But by saying more than that, restore to me joy. Uh, There's great joy in following you. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt. Rejoice. Celebrate. Worship in you. Because you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. As I mentioned, friends, here's here's God's wisdom. He knows that when we bear that anger ourselves and we hold it in, 
what we're really doing is weighing ourselves down. You're already probably thinking, Pastor Rick, when are you going to get rid of that backpack on your back? <laughs> when are you going to drop that thing? It's heavy. It is heavy, actually. Uh, in the same way, friends, how often do we walk around with this big burden on our back? And we talk about uh, you know, a chip on the shoulder. It's not a chip on the shoulder, friends. It's a weight holding us back. And what God would have us do is get rid of it. And I'm going to get rid of this thing finally. I feel light. Oh, I jump here now. <laughs> Let it go and follow him. He will lead me. I'll come to his house and I'll pray. And God begins to restore that joy. Your anger does nothing for you. And honestly, it does nothing for, against your enemy ultimately either. You give it to God and you go ahead and be led by him. Friends, let's be that kind of church. That's my hope. That's my prayer for us as a church family. Let's be this kind of church. Let's be the kind of church that prays, prays, prays. That goes to God and says, Lord, give ear to our words. We're going to spend 40 days together just pouring our heart out before you because that's what matters most. Uh, before we're even looking to get out there and serve our, our neighborhood and to reach people for Jesus and all that. And we've been doing that along the way too. But the most important thing is to come before you, our creator and our father, and go to you in prayer and trust you in the morning and throughout the day and at night as well. And then, Lord... We turn over our injustice to you. We trust it into your hands. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I give it over to you. No justice I could bring them in this world would ever even compare to what you are able to do anyway. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't places and times where you have to bring legal action <laughs> uh, and that things need to be exposed. So don't, don't misunderstand me here. Um, I think overall... Uh, on the scale, the Me Too movement is a good thing. It's exposing bad people, and they need to be exposed. So I'm not saying just forget all this stuff and just move forward. No, there is a time and a place to bring things to light, to confront, and to even sometimes bring legal action. What I am saying is we ultimately, we turn ultimate justice over to God. We bring our anger to Him and we leave it with Him. Let's be that kind of a church that follows the Lord that is joyful in Him because of the freedom and the joy that we receive when we let it go and follow Him. As I said, friends, I think this, uh, these imprecatory psalms, and you can go through some of the other ones, are one of the more controversial parts of Scripture. <laughs> They're one of, the more, uh, one of those parts of Scripture that some people read and say, wow, how can the Bible actually pray such vindictiveness upon another? But friends, what the Bible always calls us to is sincerity, genuineness. The Bible never, God, I should say, never calls us to put on a happy face and pretend like something is so when it is not. And so what you're seeing here in Psalms like this is honesty. David is angry. David is hurt. He feels the weight of his enemies and their words, their lies, their slander against him. And rather than taking vengeance in his own hands, he gives it over to God. Friends, the Bible calls us to honesty even as it, looks, it calls us to look inward with honesty. To recognize our own sin. I like what Charles Spurgeon said when you're criticized. He said, brother, 
If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him. For you are worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> right? If he knew some of your other secret sins, what would he think about you? Maybe he's got one accusation wrong, but he doesn't know about the other ten sins that you've been hiding from him or her. Friends, let us be humble and recognize our own sin even as we look to God for mercy. As we look to God for grace for ourselves, let go of the burden of anger and, grief, uh, anger and bitterness and move forward with Him. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, thank You so much for for your presence with us this morning. Lord, we can sense it and see it in, in the fellowship and the laughter and the smiles and the joy of being together. We can sense it, Lord, in the songs as we sing your praises and remind each other of the gospel of grace, that we have a strong and perfect plea before the throne of God above. And we can sense your presence, Lord, in the scriptures as they're expounded and applied to us. So give us attentive ears and hearts and minds, Lord. I don't know what everyone's dealing with. I know that bitterness and anger are pretty much universal struggles for us, Lord, as a church. That all of us, at one time or another, if not right now, deal with bitterness and anger towards someone who's harmed us and hurt us, spoken lies or slander against us. Help us, Father, to lay this burden down and to come into the house of the Lord even as we've come to worship this morning and seek the leading of our Lord. Lord, as we get ready to close here and get ready to be sent back out, pray we would sing from our hearts out, not just from our lips out, but from our hearts outward and would go more equipped, more encouraged and strengthened in the faith than when we came in. We ask this in Jesus, our Lord's name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Yeah,